Well, good morning. My name is Tim Stratton, and I'm in the process of losing my voice. <laughs> I'm an adjunct professor at Nebraska Christian College, and so all weekend I've been lecturing. In fact, yesterday I spoke for eight hours straight. So it, it's taken a toll on my voice, and uh, you know, so I just ask you to bear with me, give me some grace, and hopefully we'll get through this together by God's grace. So, um, yeah, if you haven't met me yet, uh, my name is Tim Stratton, like I said. Around here, they call me the apologist in residence, and I also help out with the C20 ministry, which is focused on young adults, uh, 20-somethings, college students, millennials in general. If you would like to learn more about the C20 ministry, I encourage you uh, to check out our official C20 Facebook page. Speaking of Facebook, how many of you, I need to see a show of hands here, how many of you have already checked your Facebook account today? Let me see a show of hands. That's that's the majority of us, I think. Um, How many of you are on Facebook right now? (laughs) See, I know what you guys do during the sermon, you're like, all right. Um, Well, you know, we're in second service right now, I think we're actually live on Facebook, so Hey, everybody out there in Facebook land, we're glad that you're here with us, joining us at Carney E-Free today. But, you know, speaking of Facebook, it's a useful tool, isn't it? But let me see your hands again. How many of you have ever been hurt or offended by a post or a tweet or something on social media? Raise your hand if you've ever been hurt. Yeah, I think most of us have, haven't we? Well, this morning, I want to survey the biblical data regarding what God says about Facebook and Twitter. (laughs) You might be surprised. Let's start by uh, clicking your Bible apps uh, or opening the the good old-fashioned book, right? But let's see what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 33. Paul says this about Christian freedom. He says everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one should seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If one of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, well, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this is food offered to an idol, well, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for conscience sake. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience if I partake with thanks why am I slandered because of something I give thanks for therefore whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do everything for God's glory give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God just as I also try to please all people in all things Not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may 
be saved. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for your word, how you've revealed truth, you've given us knowledge through your word, through your inspired scriptures. We thank you for how you've communicated with us. And Holy Spirit, we invite you here to impact our hearts and our minds. Help us to learn from your word, to be sharpened by it. Help us to learn how to behave amongst each other and with others who are not in the church, as Paul calls them, outsiders. God, please prepare us and equip us to engage with our culture today for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, th- let's think of those, those words that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. There's one phrase in those several paragraphs of words that I read, just three words that take this specific context of whether or not we're free to eat certain kinds of meat or not to a much broader context. In fact, this context is so broad that it impacts every aspect of our lives. Your entire life, everything about it. Paul seems to add a side note. In the midst of his teachings about eating food, he basically interrupts himself to make a very important point. And he says, whatever you do, He follows those three words with, do it for God's glory. Now, as I noted, Paul is specifically speaking to Christians about food and whether or not Christians are free to eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols or not. But moreover, he's discussing how Christians ought to behave in the midst of unbelievers and with non-Christians who are interacting with us and observing us, watching us. He's concerned about non-Christians who are looking at you. In this passage, Paul starts out by telling us to exercise discernment. After all, everything is permissible, Paul says. But even though a Christian has freedom to do certain things, We ought to use that freedom to make choices that are beneficial to others, including the benefit of unbelievers, non-Christians. Paul cares about more than just the people in the church. He cares about everybody in the entire world, people that you interact with who don't know Jesus. Why does Paul care about them? Well, he answers that question in the last line of the text we read. So that they may be saved. So that they might be saved. Paul says all of this because he's concerned about developing a certain spiritual discipline. He cares about the outsiders, the people who aren't Christians, but he also cares about you, the people who are Christians, and he wants to develop a a spiritual discipline in your life, the spiritual discipline of evangelism. Well, before I go on, I better define some terms. What is evangelism? 
Well, I like to define it like this. Telling people who don't know the truth about Jesus, the truth about Jesus, so that they might choose to follow Jesus and be saved. (laughs) This is literally good news. You're telling people the good news about how Jesus can save you for eternity and that he loves you. The creator of the universe loves you and desires a personal relationship with you for eternity. It is good news. It is sharing the gospel. Now Paul wants to develop this spiritual discipline with those who comprise the church. That's me and you. He wants to develop a spiritual discipline in our lives of evangelism. What is a spiritual discipline? If you remember, Adrian defined for us what a spiritual discipline is a couple of weeks ago. It's a repeated activity that's within our power to do, putting us within the stream of God's grace and enabling us to become more like Christ. You see, Paul wants to develop the discipline of evangelism in the hearts of you and me so that we might have a positive impact on those who do not know Jesus, on a positive impact on non-Christians. You see, so unbelievers might become Christians so that the lost might become saved. Paul knew the truth. Every person matters. And Paul wrote this letter around 2,000 years ago to the Corinthian church. However, I'm quite confident that if Paul were around today, that he'd be speaking to us in the exact same way. In fact, although things seem to change quite rapidly these days, times are changing. Some things don't change at all. You know, things have changed so much over the past couple of decades, haven't they? (laughs) Things have changed exponentially over just the past few years. I keep thinking some of these things are nothing but passing fads. They're not going to stick around, but these passing fads are sticking around. And they're not just sticking around, they're completely transforming our culture transforming the world that we live in. For example, I first remember hearing about something back in the early to mid-90s. I don't know if you guys have heard, heard of this, something called the internet. Have you guys heard of that? <clears throat> I remember when I first heard of it. I was a UNK student, and one of my professors thought it wasn't going to be sticking around long. So I thought the same thing. This thing's nothing but a passing fad. Not going to stick around. But then people started doing this weird thing called email. It was the late 90s, and I was living in Northern California doing some college ministry at UCSC in Santa Cruz. (laughs) The Santa Cruz Banana Slugs. That was their mascot. I got to tell you, when I was a freshman at UNK here, I was actually Louis the Loper. I put on that big costume and run around at the athletic events. It's fun being Louis the Loper. I thought lopers were weird, but can you imagine being a banana slug? I don't want to wear that costume. But I was told that if I hoped to communicate with these banana slug college students, that I was going to have to get this thing called called email. Because that's how they communicated. 
And I thought, I mean, I scoffed at that idea. I thought, email, I said. That's nothing but a passing fad. That's not going to stick around. I'm not getting an email account. Well, text messages were next. I thought those were just a passing fad. My wife sent me my first text message. Well, before she was my wife, while we were still dating. I remember getting this, my phone making some weird sound, and I picked it up, and it was words from her. I thought, what in the world is this sorcery? You know, (laughs) what's going on here? I thought, this is nothing but a passing fad. Why text somebody when you can just give them a call? (laughs) This isn't going to stick around. Well, then we moved to Kearney in 2006, and things were fine. Until then, my wife, she told me that she created something for me called a Facebook account. A what? What's a Facebook account? I thought, surely this Facebook business has got to be nothing but a passing fad. Then something really crazy happened. The rise of these newfangled smartphones. I thought, these things aren't going to stick around. These things can't beat the good old flip phone, right? (laughs) Nothing but a passing fad. Well, what's the moral of the story? When it comes to technology, don't trust my bets. I'm not a prophet when it comes to technology, but I do know one thing. Technology has changed everything. The internet has dramatically transformed our culture. These smartphones and electronic devices have drastically changed our world in just a few short years, virtually overnight. You know, things have changed so much recently that Sean McDowell recently noted that this young generation, uh, Generation Z, some people call them iGen, you know, the iGeneration. This Generation Z is the first generation to have to learn how to communicate offline. I mean, I'm Generation X. (laughs) My parents are baby boomers. You know, we all had to learn how to communicate online. It was tough. It was tough for me. Like, I resisted these passing fads, right? But I had to learn how to communicate online. But Generation Z, they, they're the first to have to learn how to communicate offline. I mean, we raise our toddlers on iPads today. I'm not necessarily saying that this is a bad thing. I'm just underscoring how times are changing Now, much of this change has not been for the better. Some of it has been bad. There's been disinformation and fake news just bombarding us. There's so much hitting us on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and everything else. So much, we just don't even know what's true and what's false. And pornography, it's literally at our fingertips. And just one Or two clicks, you can see some things that you should not see. Evil. And atheism has skyrocketed because of the internet. I think because of all the the misinformation and disinformation, atheism has skyrocketed. And offline relationships and friendships have suffered. We just don't know how to talk to each other face-to-face anymore because we're so used to being on Facebook. 
However, not all change has been for the worse. No, I've, online relationships and friendships have skyrocketed. They've increased. I've got a, a good friend named Eric Hernandez who I've developed a friendship with over the last few years, but it wasn't until a few weeks ago until I finally met him face-to-face at an apologetics conference in Dallas. And we were so happy to finally see each other face-to-face. And we said, man, it's so good to finally, to finally meet you in person. But then we realized how weird it was we already knew each other. We were already good friends. And I've got another friend, Jacobus Erasmus. He lives in South Africa. I've never met him face to face. But we have become true brothers in Christ. Sometimes we'll Skype with each other and we'll pray for each other. The guy's brilliant. We, we write articles together that we publish. But I've never met him face to face. But he is a friend. He is a brother in Christ. I thank God for how technology has allowed this to happen. And although atheism has increased due to misinformation, apologetics has responded and skyrocketed. And along with apologetics, one can do evangelism around the world in the comfort of your own living room every single day. It's basically my job. (laughs) And knowledge is at our fingertips. Yeah, there's a lot of misinformation out there. But if you're willing to put in the work, if you're willing to to work hard, you can access knowledge. I've been transformed by being educated. I I got my master's degree online. (laughs) So thank God for technology. Thank God for the internet. Knowledge is at our fingertips. And that's a good thing. In fact, the Bible even tells us, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.4 that God desires all people to possess knowledge. Here's my point. Technology can be used for great evil. I bet most of us, if we're honest, have used technology for evil in some form or fashion. And at the very least, I bet we've all been exposed to evil on the internet. But I contend that Christians should not run from technology. No, we should use it for the glory of God because what did Paul say? Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. You know, Christians have followed Paul's advice and used technology for God's glory in the past. Have you ever stopped to consider that Jesus and Paul, they never carried around books? They didn't carry around Bibles? Not like we do today. I mean, books did not exist 2,000 years ago. Think about that. The, the, The few who could read only had access to, limited access to scrolls or maybe stone tablets before that. People didn't carry around Bibles or books. But through the technological advances of the printing press, the technology that led to the printing press, books were invented. And this took place 1,400 years after Jesus gave his great commission. However, because of technology, now we have the word of God in the form 
of a book. We've also got the Word of God in the form of an app on your phone. It's the same thing. If it's in a book, on your phone, on the screen, it's all technology. And it's technology that Jesus and Paul did not have access to. Let's use it all for the glory of God. So Christians have used technology for the glory of God. The Bible is by far and the way the book that's been printed on the printing press more than any other book. Amen to that. <laughs> so every book, every Bible, and every book that you get at the solid rock is because of technology. Radio. We've got My Bridge Radio. It's because of technology. Christians use technology to influence the world, to strengthen Christians, and to reach non-Christians over the radio waves. Television has been used by, okay, well, not all televangelists have been good. <laughs> but you get the point. Television is technology, and it can be used for God's glory. And now we have the internet and social media. We ought to use it for the glory of God. In our main text today, Paul was communicating to the Christians regarding how they ought to behave in social circles. So Paul's teachings apply to us regarding social media. It's all about being social. And whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. You know, this is true if you're in the public square, whether you're on social media or whether you're alone at home. And if you find yourself doing something that you simply cannot be doing for the glory of God, you probably need to stop doing it. Odds are, if you find yourself doing something online or offline that cannot be used for the glory of God, it's probably a sin and you should probably stop doing it. But in this context, Paul is clear that he has evangelism in mind. So, how does this specifically relate to technology, especially regarding social media? Now, just let me add a side note here. Maybe you're one of those guys who, who lives off the grid and you're not on social media. You're not on the internet. You're, you're not online. Hey, that's cool. The same things I'm going to talk about today, these same principles can be applied to your life in any social setting. But right now I just want to, this morning I, I'm going to focus on how we can use this through technology. But even if you don't use this stuff, these things still apply to you whenever you talk with anybody else, okay? So this morning, I contend that all Christians can use this technology for God's glory by constantly asking ourselves three questions. The first question is this. How can I be a godly influence online today? Ask yourself that question every single day. Whenever you, before you get online, ask yourself that question. This has to do with evangelism. And I'm convinced that the use of social media has increased my personal influence on the culture today more than anything else. And this started because I used Facebook and social media in general as a pastor. But let me tell you something. There's nothing special about Tim Stratton. I use it as a pastor, and so can you. 
so can you. Now, this kind of happened by accident in my life. I don't know, it was around 2009 or so. And I started making occasional Facebook posts about maybe books I was reading or Bible verses I was studying. And then I started to befriend a lot of you guys on Facebook and other people around Kearney. And pretty soon that began to grow and grow. And I, I started posting away for the glory of God. My main goal was to give the kids and youth group who were on Facebook some things to think about. But these posts began to reach people of all ages. These posts began to reach people all around the world. And when others would post about God, well, I would jump on and like their comments and offer some encouraging words on the following thread. Oh, and when those inevitable atheistic wolves, or let's call them social media trolls, would, would come out to attack the sheep and my youth group, well, like a good shepherd, I would fight them off, so to speak, and defend the sheep. I tried to accomplish, I literally tried to accomplish 2 Corinthians 10.5 online. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, you've heard me say it a lot, Paul says we destroy every argument raised against the knowledge of God. So when I saw arguments raised against the knowledge of God online, I destroyed them. That was my goal, to destroy these arguments. So I argued with those who attacked the sheep and defended the faith of those who could not defend it themselves. Hear me, you can do the same types of things. You all have a voice and you all have a circle of influence. I'm not telling you that you have to be an apologist, right, online. You don't have to be Tim Stratton, be yourself. But you have an influence online, So I encourage you to earn the right to become a Facebook pastor. A Facebook pastor. You you can do that. Share encouraging words from the Bible. Maybe quotes from Adrian's sermons. Maybe share links to good videos or articles that you've seen. There's some website, I think it's called freethinkingministries.com or something like that. Hey, Take stuff from there and share it. Get it out into the culture. Have an impact on this world. I'm not saying, hear me, let me say it again. I'm not saying you gotta be Tim Stratton or you gotta be an online apologist. Now, if you want to be, if you feel God calling you into something like that, I would be honored to train you to do that kind of thing. But I'm simply saying that you can have an influence on so many people for God's glory and for their benefit on social media by just being yourself and glorifying God with everything you do. Post Bible verses, post links to Adrian's sermons, share what God is doing in your life. You have an influence and use it to impact this world as Paul is telling us We ought to do. Social media gives you a megaphone to share the gospel around the world. So treat social media as a pulpit. And remember that you are a pastor behind that virtual pulpit. You're a pastor. And your pulpit can reach people 
all around the world. In fact, this became clear to me just a few weeks ago. We started our, our Reasonable Faith UNK uh, chapter meetings. And uh, the topic was, you know, if God is all good and all powerful, then why is there so much pain, evil, and suffering in the world? And I was all excited for this talk. But then only a dozen showed up or less. I was bummed. And this, they're in the student union. And I was really hoping for more. But then Callan Maupin, who plays guitar and bass up here, he was just up here this morning. He's the president uh, of Reasonable Faith UNK. And he said, Tim, let's go Facebook Live. We'll reach some more people. And I'm like, all right. So he sat in the front row and held my phone up and, and videoed me speaking. And as soon as he turned it off, as soon as the, the lecture was done, he said, Tim, 550 people just watched that. I'm like, no way. That was cool. And as time went on, more and more and more began to watch it. And I was bummed about only 12 or, or less. But through Facebook and through technology, we were able to reach exponentially more people than were able to attend in person. Now please hear me. I'm not saying that you need to use Facebook Live. I'm simply noting that you have the opportunity to reach many more people for the glory of God over social media. So, now this is important. Do it prayerfully and with wisdom. And if we do that, then we can use technology. We can redeem it for God's glory. Now this brings us to the next question. And it has to do with content. Since you're a pastor and social media is your pulpit, you should ask yourself the following. Is what I'm saying on social media something a pastor would or should share in a sermon? It has to do with discernment. See, every time I get on Facebook, I try to make sure that I, I treat it as a pulpit. That doesn't mean that I'm always perfect and it doesn't mean that everything you say always has to be related to Scripture. After all, there's nothing wrong with a pastor sharing things about his personal life from time to time from the pulpit so that you guys can get to know him as a real person. So because of that, I'll share stuff about the things I like. Like Star Wars. <laughs> my hobbies and sports. My family and things I'm doing with my family. But I'm always looking for opportunities to connect with others and could then connect everything to the gospel. Paul says this in Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the world to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that, I'm, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see, here, 
Paul asks us to pray that God would open a door to the world so that he can communicate the gospel with as many people as possible. Well, guess what? I think God has answered Paul's prayers by way of the internet. I really do. We can literally reach the entire world. Talk about a doorway to the world. I think we as Christians ought to take advantage of this answered prayer and use it for God's glory. And moreover, Paul warns us to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. He's talking about non-Christians. So if you desire to be an online influencer or, or offline, <laughs> make sure you aren't saying stupid stuff. Whatever you do, don't be making predictions about a specific date being the end of the world. That's stupid stuff. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that kind of thing. And whatever you do, walk in wisdom, exercise discernment, and let the things you say be seasoned with salt. Make sure they taste good to the outsiders who are listening. Make sure you're nice. This brings us to the next question that we should ask ourselves, and it has to do with manner and tone. The question is this, is what I'm saying over social media being communicated with grace and love? Again, this has evangelism in mind. I gotta tell you, I've seen many Christians communicate truth online, but not in love. I've seen many Christians communicate truth in what seems to be hatred and vitriol. Don't do that. We must not make this mistake. It is unbiblical to share the truth while being a jerk. Share the truth and love. I'm not perfect. But consider what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He tells us to speak the truth in love. And then in John 1.14, Paul or, I'm sorry, the gospel says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. So as followers of Christ, we ought to do our best to emulate Christ. WWJD. Did you guys have those bracelets? <laughs> what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do if he had a Twitter account? <laughs> what would Jesus do if he was on Facebook? Think about that. And and try to emulate what you think he would do and how he would do it. And we know what he would probably do by reading scripture. Man, I gotta tell you, we gotta be, even, even if your heart's in the right place, you gotta be careful with how you're perceived. I struggle. I've had close friends tell me that I can sometimes come across as rude, arrogant, and mean when I'm on Facebook or when I'm tweeting. And they find this odd because they know me or at least they think they know that I'm a really nice guy. <laughs> at least face to face. But so why is it different on Facebook? But you see, when one cannot see a facial expression or hear the tone in one's voice, even when they're losing their voice, if you can't hear the tone in one's voice and all you're left with is the cold, hard words on a screen, well, those hard words can be quite abrasive. We gotta be careful. 
You got to try hard. I got to tell you, I'm preaching to myself more than anybody else right now. And to be completely honest, when I first started debating these atheists online, I was not always nice about it. No, my flesh enjoyed making these atheists look stupid in front of thousands of people online. So although I might have been doing some good things, I might have been winning arguments, I wasn't winning souls for Christ. So in the process of doing some good things, I was sinning. The Holy Spirit convicted me and showed me that these atheists are also created in the image of God and that Jesus loves them just as much as he loves me. So I had to learn how to argue and speak the truth in love and with grace because there's a real person on the other side of that screen. A person created in God's image. Again, I'm not going to tell you that I'm perfect, but I do strive to be loving and to come across in a loving way, both online and offline. I try to be careful with how I phrase the truth and the tone in which I speak the truth. You've got to speak the truth in love. And now a lot of people think that you've got to balance it. Like, is it 50% truth and 50% love or 60-40 or whatever? No. These concepts, truth and love, are not mutually exclusive. They're not logically contradictory, so you don't have to have a balance between the two. No, you need 100% of both truth and love. 100% of both. And don't compromise either. Speak the truth and speak it in love Let me conclude with this. At the beginning of the message today, I asked how many of you have been hurt or offended on Facebook or social media. What would it mean to you if that person who hurt you deleted their comments and apologized to you? Now how many of us need to review our past posts Are there any tweets or Facebook posts that we should delete? I just deleted one this past week. Are there any comments for which we need to apologize? Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for providing an example of how to interact in this world, surrounded by people who don't know you, surrounded by people who don't know the truth, surrounded by people that despise us. Jesus, you provided an example of how to speak the truth and speak it in love. You even taught us how to go out of our way to help those who despise us, to help them flourish, to even love those who consider us as enemies. Because as as Paul made clear, you care about them. You care about those who don't know you and you desire 
everyone to come to know you. God, I pray that you would use us to reflect you, to reflect your love, whether we're online or offline, or whether we're on Facebook or face-to-face with somebody. God, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.